past five weeks, we've been exploring Psalm chapter 119. It's the longest chapter in the entire Bible, but in its great length and its great depth, it's multifaceted, it's very rich scripture. It's well worth the time that it will take you to explore it. I hope that you have read it as we've done this series, or will do so in the very near future. But before we dig into it again today, just in case there's anybody here that's missed one or maybe all of this series, it's important for you to understand some background before we get into this last sermon today. Psalm 119 is composed of 22 stanzas, each being eight verses long, and each verse has two lines. Each stanza sequentially begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So there was a structure to David's wordiness. He was not just rambling on or filling space with words of no significance. It was very well thought out and a very well developed passage of scripture. And in fact, there's a tradition in the Eastern Orthodox Church that says that King David used this psalm to teach his son Solomon not only the Hebrew alphabet, but also the alphabet for living the spiritual life. And when we began this series, I mentioned that Psalm 119 has some major themes that run throughout its landscape. The first one that we dug into was David's emphasis on the Word of God. David taught us that without the Word of God, you cannot effectively walk. You cannot effectively weather, and you definitely cannot effectively war without the Word of God. The Word is absolutely essential. If the only time you get the Word of God is when you're seated in this room, no wonder you're having the struggle. The Word of God is absolutely essential to your life. And if you have a deficiency of the Word of God in your life, you will stumble, you will find yourself surrounded, and you will eventually surrender. But with the Word of God, you have the best GPS system you could ever ask for. Every turn, every nook, and every cranny is documented. And you can find a way out through the Word of God. In week two, we dealt with David's instructions on prayer. So I hope that you've been praying the three prayers that we talked about. Number one was teach me. Has the Lord taught anybody anything in the last few weeks? He's taught me a few things. The second one was bless me. And we already talked about, I don't need to ask you if you've been praying that. Because most of us have no problem praying that one. But the third one was protect me. Listen, I need God to watch over me and protect me from my enemy. But sometimes I need God to protect me from me. I don't want to squander my blessings. So I need his knowledge and I need his protection. The third week we dealt with the theme of praise that was found in Psalm 119. We discussed the when of our praise. And it was talked about already this morning. And we decided that even if it's midnight, we should be praising. Even if we're in the middle of trouble, we should be praising. Even if we're in the darkest hour of our lives, we should still be raising up a hallelujah to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you know the story, when did Ruth go to Boaz? Somebody tell me. She went at midnight. She went and laid down at his feet at midnight and it startled him and it got his attention. I thought about that this week and I thought, wow... If some of us would begin to praise God in the middle of our midnight, it might just get His attention. Have you gotten His attention this week with your praise? 
we do need to get the ratio right. We shouldn't go seven days and praise Him once. The ratio should be one to seven. We ought to be praising Him every single day of our lives. We talked about the why of our praise, and we praise because that's what we were created to do. That's what we were designed to do. We praise as an overflow of our life. If there's no overflow of praise and our life doesn't overflow with praise, there'll be no overflow from our mouths of praise. And then finally, we dealt with the how we praise. We should be willing praisers. Nobody should have to work us up, pump us up, or prime us up. We ought to come in, as the Bible says, through His gates with thanksgiving and enter those courts with praise. Every single time. Because when we operate from the reference that He is worthy, and the reverence that when we gather in this room, we will become willing and attentive worshipers, He will be in our midst. He will inhabit, He will enthrone the praises of His people. And last week in my absence, and I did watch online, Pastor Dwight had a rough assignment. God bless him. I got to talk about the Word and prayer and praise, and I said, here you go. You talk to him about affliction. That worked out so well. Didn't plan it in advance, but I was like, that's pretty cool. But... Pastor Dwight continued, and he talked to you about affliction, and he did a wonderful job last week, did he not? David suffered a whole lot in his life, and his suffering teaches us that it, in affliction, it causes us to obey. So affliction is sometimes a part of discipline. And he stated that affliction was good for us. And we, we got to learn that all things work together for our good. He says that affliction is also an indication of God's faithfulness. Isn't that amazing? And he promised, he promised that we would have many afflictions. But the Lord would deliver us out of every single one of them. So I do want to wrap this up this morning. As I've spent time reading and rereading Psalm 119, I've noticed a particularly sorrowful section that gives us a glimpse into a situation that many of us can either relate to or we may eventually or even currently find ourselves in. If you'll direct your attention to verses 81 through 88 of Psalm 119, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. David said, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They don't live according to your law. All of your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth. But I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life. That I may keep the 
testimonies of your mouth. I'm going to wrap this series up today by preaching to you part five of Ruth 119. Today we're going to talk about waiting. If you will, pray with me and for me. Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. We've already felt in such a wonderful way. I thank you for what you've done in and through our young people this weekend at Winterfest. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done in and through this series for the last four weeks. But today, Lord, is a new day. And once again, I'm calling upon you for your anointing. Lord, to anoint these lips of clay that I would not speak my words or even with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but that I would preach your word today and that it would come forth in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. I pray that you would anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you would speak to us today about waiting. And Lord, I pray more than anything, if there's anybody here under the sound of my voice or watching online that is lost, I pray before this service is over today that they would make their heart and life right with you and make the easiest decision they'll ever make and the best decision they'll ever make in your life, and that is to choose you. Lord, I pray today that you would let us leave this place differently than we came. Give us a revelation about waiting, what it looks like, what it feels like, but what we're promised in and through your word. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. As you be seated, if I could get an usher or greeter to check the thermostat for us. Anybody hot in here? Yeah. Uh, if you all will check that for us, I want you to be comfortable for the next 20, 25 minutes while I talk to you about this. The verses that I just read to you, this particular stanza, of Psalm 119 has been referred to by many Bible scholars as the midnight, ironically, the midnight of Psalm 119. Actually, one of my favorites, uh, Charles Spurgeon, referred to it as hope in depression. Hope during depression. The depth of the midnight in this passage of Scripture is revealed in verse 83. He uses a metaphor, if you don't care to put verse 83 back on the screen for me, to show us how dark it is. He says, I've become like a wineskin in the smoke. See, the practice of that day was to hang empty wineskins inside their tents. And David uses this to reveal how dismal this situation really was. They would hang the empty wineskins in their tents, and since they had large wood fires and they had no chimneys, the wineskins became smoke-dried. They become shriveled, and they were unfit for use once they dried out. And they, became, they also became soot-covered uh, because of the smoke. They were blackened. And he's saying, just like the wineskin has become completely dried out, I have waited until it feels like all hope, until it feels like all joy, until it feels like all life is burned out of me. I'm covered with the ashes of yesterday. I'm covered with the soot of sorrow. Can I get a witness this morning? I feel all dried up. Has anybody else ever felt dried up in your life? Just dry and barren. In dire need of refreshing and refilling that only comes from the living water. And it's from this dark place that we see that David struggles with the when question. The how long question. You, you see him use this vernacular in this passage of scripture. When God? How long God? He's battling with the feelings that say, I have a promise. 
I've stood for what's right. I've done what was asked. And now, when are you going to come through? It's okay this morning if you've been there to give me a witness. We've all been there. I've done the right thing. I've paid my tithes. I've read my word. I'm praying. I'm going to church. I'm doing everything I know to do. When, God, can I get a witness this morning? When, God, are you going to answer? When are you going to work? Where are you when I need you, God? I'm tired of waiting. I'm weary of waiting. I've heard people say, I just don't know how much longer I can do this. David was right in the middle of a waiting game just like that. Maybe you've been there. I have. Maybe you're there right now. But out of this midnight section of this psalm, David teaches us that waiting can cause you to grow weary. David's honest enough to express his sincere and his heartfelt exhaustion with waiting for God to come through while it seemed like all the wicked around him seemed to prosper and go unpunished. Can I get a witness? He's shaking his fist and saying, when? How long is too long to wait? I want to ask you this morning, what do you do when promises in your life seem to go unfulfilled? What do you do when it seems all you seem to do is just wait for justice? What do you do when you have tithed faithfully? Somebody talk to me. And yet it seems like the windows of heaven are just shut tight. What do you do when you're praying for that child while you're reading on the news how somebody else killed their two-year-old? And you say, why, God, did you bless them with a child but you won't bless me? Anybody ever been there? David was growing weary. Some of you, I feel this morning, and as I prepared this message, the most of it before I left town, but I got up on Friday morning at 6.30 and finished it. How long will it be before I get my answer? Some of you feel exhausted. And it's okay if you're quiet right now, because a lot of times I find we don't really want to admit that. Some of you are asking questions. How long, God, before my spouse comes back? How long will I have to wait for my children to get right with God? How long will I have to wait before I'm healed? Sometimes we get tired of waiting. David understood that. But you know what? There's also something about waiting that can cause you to not just grow weary. It can cause you to grow whiny. David seems to resist the temptation better than we do. It's actually human nature to become whiny. Anybody remember when your children were little? Or some of y'all that have little children right now. You can be getting in the car just going to Lexington. It don't have to be far. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much longer? Right? Abby would always have a problem when she was growing up. It never failed. Anybody else have this? I'm going to tell on you, sissy. You can make her go to the bathroom before you leave. 
But I promise you, you get 25 minutes down the interstate and she's got a number two. Anybody else have that problem? I remember a trip to Myrtle Beach that we were stuck in traffic. I don't even know how old she was. How much longer? I can't hold it any longer. You can't. I mean, we took it till all we could take it. And Angie zips open the suitcase. I said, what are you doing? She said, here's a beach towel. Now, thank God. She refused to do that, and I didn't have to endure that, because it would not have been good. And thank God we made it. But it would never fail. 25, 30 minutes down the road, that would happen. I'm not going to lie, we even tried not feeding her. It still happened. David seems to resist the temptation to become whiny better than we do. It's apparent by the number of times that he comes back to this period of lamentation that he's on the verge of becoming consumed or at least distracted by the waiting game. Too many of us go beyond the weary stage to the whiny stage. We get whiny with God. We allow time to cause us to become a victim. We're in a society where people are always the victim. Are you with me this morning? Trust me, you can't even correct anybody that they don't become the victim. You can't even keep sin out of the pulpit that they're not the victim. That's where we're living today. But I got news for you. Whether they want to play the victim or not, I'm always going to do my dead level best to keep God's house clean. I'm going to guard the treasures of the temple. And I'm always going to do my best to minister to those that need ministered to during that time if they'll be teachable. But we allow time to cause us to become a victim. Sometimes we stagnate in the wait. Can I tell you this morning that waiting and silence does not give us permission to go to war. Too many of us want to march on a word that wasn't for us. Or it hasn't come to the fullness of time yet. Go back and learn from the account in Exodus. I don't have time to preach that this morning. But you go ask Pharaoh. Read about what happens when you try to operate on a word that wasn't for you. Look around and you see what happens when you go to war on your own. Based on a promise that has yet to be fulfilled. What are you talking about, Pastor? We see people who have promises about certain relationships. That in his timing would have turned out right. Well, Pastor, I met him at church. That's okay. But that doesn't mean that they're the one. Churches are like hospitals. Not all the patients are responding to treatment. Somebody help me preach this morning. Just because you met them at church does not mean that they're the one. You might have had a promise about a certain relationship, but wait on God's timing if you want it to turn out right. But because people grow weary, they go to war and they take matters into their own hands. They end up ahead of God 
And instead of healing, all they did was deepen the hurt. They ended up married before the time was right or the person was right. They ended up out of a relationship because they wouldn't wait on God to turn it around. Hello, somebody. If you made, my mama used to say it like this. You made your bed. Now, thank you. Some of y'all had mamas like that too. Thank God for a mama like that. We're also in a church world where they get ahead of God and they get in a relationship and they get married against the advice of the pastor or maybe even others. And then when it starts going south, they just want out. That's not what this book said. I talked to some folks and I said, well, did he commit adultery? Well, no, I'd have killed him if he did that. Did she commit adultery? No. And I looked at him and I said, well, suck it up, buttercups. You, you made this situation. Don't expect God to give you, you... You messed up the first time. What you need to do now is ask God to help you work it out. Now, you both have to be sincere. And if one of you is not willing, that's a game changer. Somebody help me preach. But if both of y'all are willing... God is willing, and it's no excuse for you to just do like the rest of the world and run out on commitment. Somebody help me preach this morning just because your day's not going well. We see people that make financial decisions in a hurry based on promises that have not yet come to pass, and they get ahead of God, and then they get in debt over their head. And then if saying Jesus take the wheel, they're saying Jesus take the car payment. Some people force their way onto a stage or in a position. But I want to tell you something. That can destroy you if you're not ready. You have to be willing to wait. Every time it seems like David was grown so tired of waiting that he takes matters into his own hands... He'll circle back and he'll say, I will trust you. I will obey your instructions. I will honor your decrees. That's what David says. He has that kind of posture every time he finds himself in that position. What does he do? He lays down his weapons and he waits. I think we need to learn from David because it seems to me that most of us, after a prolonged season of waiting, begin to take up weapons. We take up weapons of sarcasm. We take up weapons of bitterness. We take up weapons of sharp words. We take up weapons of anger. And a lot of us like to get on social media and try to use the scripture as a weapon to twist it and make it say what we want it to say in our favor. Y'all won't help me preach that this morning. We want to take a passage of scripture out of context. Don't ever put me in the situation where I have to tell the whole story. I'll keep it to me until you put me in a situation where I have to tell the whole story. Don't take up those weapons. You need to lay your weapons down. Quit pulling the strings. Quit working the angles. Quit maneuvering. And go back to waiting. David shows us that waiting doesn't have to cause us to grow weak. Although David did grow weary, he did not grow weak. When David was at the breaking point, it seems that he comes back to the strength of God's word and he finds endurance and stamina to continue 
waiting. In fact, immediately following this midnight section of this psalm, David pens one of the greatest testimonies about God that was ever penned. I want you to look at verses 89 and 90. David said, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. After just previously having ex expressing his disgust with waiting, David turns and he says, God, your word is eternal. It is firm. It is solid. He comes to a place of realization that if God said it, somebody help me preach this morning, even if time passes with no glimpse of fulfillment, if God said it, I will still believe it. You can't make me believe otherwise. God is not a man that he should lie. Come on, somebody. And even when I can't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. He never stops working. And out of this prolonged season of waiting, he brags. David brags on the prolonged length of God's faithfulness. Your faithfulness continues not just to me but to all generations. He says, yes, I'm tired of waiting but I realize God that you aren't just God enough to be faithful to me but to everybody in every generation to come. David rallies himself and becomes stronger and more resolute in his trust in God. That's another reason why you need the word of God inside of you because in those times of desperation and in those times of despair when you try to rally yourself I promise you the Holy Ghost will remind you of what the Word of God says and you can stand on the Word. And Isaiah actually chimes in on this fact in Isaiah chapter 40 verses 27 through 31. He says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? That the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, He does not faint or grow weary. Anybody glad about that this morning? He understand, His understanding is unsearchable. He gives what? To the what? The faint is like this. And the power is like this. So you can be feeling spiritually. Anybody ever felt spiritually like this? But let the Holy Ghost get a hold of you. And you could go through hell with a squirt gun. Can I get a witness? Fighting every devil. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. Y'all can say amen. Because you're exhausted and it's showing. And young men shall fall exhausted. <laughs> but they who do what? But they who do what? Wait for the Lord. Shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and never get tired. They shall walk and not faint. I'm telling you this morning, if you'll learn to wait on God, if you'll lay down your weapons and wait on God, His strength is better than any strength you'll ever have on your own. But see, we refuse to wait because we're stubborn. Don't look at your spouse right now. We refuse to wait because we're stubborn and we grow weaker. But the book just said, if we'll wait, we'll gain strength. David shows us that although it's acceptable to question God's timing, but we never, say never, never have to question His faithfulness. Delay does not mean denial. Waiting, and I'm almost finished, does not mean no. Anybody besides me not like the word no? I just don't like the word no. Waiting does not mean no. Waiting means not right now. There is a difference. Waiting means I'm going to hold on until you give me different instructions. Waiting means I will become even more careful to check with you before I do anything. Waiting doesn't mean to settle either. You don't have to settle just because you've been waiting. Waiting means that we have enough trust and enough confidence in God that God will keep His promise. If God said it, you can trust it. You can believe it. It may not come to pass today, and it might not come to pass tomorrow, but if God said it, you can stand on it and say, Devil, I'm standing on the Word, and God will bring it to pass. God said it, I don't care if you have to wait 50 years. Just keep waiting. Don't give up. He that promised is faithful. I want to ask you this morning, what promises have you given up on? What is the waiting season doing to you? Are you making poor decisions because you're tired of waiting? Have you given up on God doing it? At the beginning of this year, I ask you to write down one thing. This is March the 3rd. And some of y'all are already saying, Some of you have already seen it come to pass. I think. Was that your one thing? I think Nicholas's one thing was his Aunt Laura 
who's sitting on the back row, rededicated her life to Jesus two Sundays ago. Some of you are still waiting on your one thing and you're saying when. Trust God for it. Sing that for the altar. Trust Him for it. Thank you. Now thank me because you can go ahead and come. Trust God for it. I don't care how long you have to wait on it. Keep waiting. Because He that promised is faithful. Don't give up. Wait with confidence. I remember a story of Angie's great-grandmother who founded Dorothy Pentecostal Church in 1934. If it wasn't for her, I would have never, I never knew her, never got to know her. But if it wasn't for her and the work that she started, I likely would have never been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost because it was in that church that she started in 1934 where I received it. On a Wednesday night, when I received it, even when I didn't really believe it was necessary and wasn't 100% convinced it was real. But they tell me if you had been in that church that night when I received it, you would have thought I cut my teeth on Pentecostal pews. You know what I simply said? God, if this is really real and you really want me to have it, here I am. Give it to me. And I'm telling you, when he did, I can promise you, if the front pew on that side of the church hadn't been bolted to the floor, it would have went just like this with me all over the house. But I'm reminded of a story of her great-grandmother Back in the 40s, 50s, probably 40s, when all you had was landlines, if they, I bet they didn't have a landline. I don't even know if they had a landline. Definitely was no such thing as cell phones. There was no way to communicate with people except face to face. That wouldn't be so bad today. Can I get a witness? But anyway, we are where we are. She got up in the middle of the night about 3 o'clock in the morning. And she got ready. And she sat on the front porch. And they said, why are you doing that? She said, the Holy Ghost told me there was a man that I needed to pray for. And I don't know who's coming to get me. But somebody's coming to get me. And I got to be real. So she got ready and she sat on the front porch. And they said, ma'am. It's 4 a.m. Ain't nobody come yet. She said, the Lord told me somebody was coming to get me. And somebody will come and get me. And I think as the story goes, about 5 a.m., there was a car pulled in the driveway. And he said, Sister Martha, there's a man in the hospital in northern Kentucky that you need to pray for. She said, all right, let's go. I'm ready. She sat on the front porch and she waited. It might have just been a couple hours, but when people in the family thought she'd lost her mind, hear me, young people. When people around you think you've lost your mind, 
if God spoke it to you. If God promised it to you. Don't let anything deter you from holding on to it. Go ahead and get up. Go ahead and prepare yourself. Go ahead, pull up a seat and sit down and wait. Because if God said it, it will come to pass. And she went and prayed for that man. They had given him just a short amount of time to die. And he was miraculously healed and he lived. You can wait with confidence. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 through 25. says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why do you young people after a weekend of Winterfest need to be reminded of this? Well, this weekend many of you have made a confession of hope. Now, regardless of what anybody else in the school says, regardless of what anybody else on the football team says, or the volleyball team, or the basketball team, or the cheerleading squad, or the dance team, or the academic team, or the band regardless of what anybody says hold on to it don't waver when somebody tries to tempt and test your face and and questions you don't say well I don't know say no I know I know in whom I have believed and I know who promised and he who promised is faithful Let us consider, I love this, the next verse says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Y'all are going to like me. Say this as is the habit of some who think it's more important for their teenager to be on a travel team, help me, Jesus, than it is to be at Winterfest or in a Wednesday night youth group. I don't care if you're mad at me or not, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Don't neglect it like they do. Make a priority of what's important. Y'all ain't going to help me preach that up in here this morning. Make a priority of what's important. Let me tell you something. Most of you, I hate to bust your southeastern Kentucky bubbles. But most of your children aren't going to be superstars anyway. I'm not saying we may not have one or two among us. I hope and pray we do. I hope we get some. Hey, there was a Reed Shepherd came out of London, Kentucky. Can I get a witness? But let me, I know his mama and daddy personally and very well. His mama better than his daddy. She and his daddy prioritize what's important. Most of the time, we're not going to grow up to be superstars anyway. 
But when they grow up, I promise you, I promise you, they won't remember the ball game that they lost because they were on the travel team. But they'll remember the Winterfest weekend or the Wednesday night when the Holy Ghost washed over them like a flood. They'll remember that. So don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and watch this. All the more, not less, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hold fast to it. He who promised is faithful. Stand with me all over the room today. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I hear this word that you're preaching. But if I had to answer the question right now, if I went out into eternity this afternoon, if I went by way of death or if the rapture took place this afternoon, with every head bowed and every eye closed, very quickly, nobody looking around, if you say, I'm not 100% sure that I would make heaven my home if that took place today, would you just slip your hand up and put it back down? I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. I'm just going to thank you for that hand. Anybody else? I'm not 100% sure that I would make heaven my home if I went by the way of the rapture or death today. Anybody else? Yes, thank you for that hand. I see two. Anybody else? All I want to do is pray for you. I'm just not 100% sure that I would make heaven my home. I don't know. Thank you. Yes, thank you for that hand. I'm not 100% sure that I'm ready. Listen, I want to tell you something this morning. You can know that you're ready. I don't care what your life may look like today. I don't care what kind of situation you may find yourself in. You may say, Pastor, you don't know what I'm addicted to. It don't matter. I said it don't matter. You may say, Pastor, you don't know how I'm living. It don't matter. I said it don't matter. You may say, Pastor, you don't know what I did last night. It don't matter. I said it don't matter. The only thing that matters is what you choose to do with the next 15 minutes of your life. You can either walk out of here not knowing. Or you can let today be the day when you say, Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. And Jesus Christ, I promise you, will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Can I get a witness this morning? So as we open this altar this morning, I want you to find a place to pray. If you slipped your hand up, please find a place to pray. There will be somebody that will meet you in this altar and pray with you rest of us this morning, you can look at me. I'm going to wrap this up and open the altar. I don't know what you may be going through this morning or what you might be waiting on in your life. But don't allow the situation to cause you to dry up. It's okay that you're weary in the waiting. It's okay that you might feel exhausted from the wait. But you don't have to be like the wine skin in the smoke. The Lord is here with refreshing for you this morning. Maybe your waiting has caused you to take up weapons of defense. Maybe you've taken matters into your own hands, but you can see that you're making more of a mess of it. That's because God never, never gave you permission to take anything into your own hands. He never gave you the charge to go to war. You need to put down your weapons this morning and renew your commitment to just wait on Him. He may not do it in our time. 
his timing is perfect. And when he fixes it, it's fixed. <laughs> so drop your weapons and learn to wait. Or maybe your waiting has caused you to begin to doubt. I think we're all guilty of that sometimes. You just need to remind yourself this morning that his word is eternal. It's settled in the heavens. You need to trust in him this morning. He may do all things in his own time. But one thing he does, he does all things well. You can wait on him with confidence. Because he who promised is.